So we currently uh, cut our satellite service and went to streaming. And if you've ever been there before, you know what that process is like. We had been with the satellite company for, gosh, I'd probably say eight years or so, if not longer. And we did what all of you probably do as well. We uh, were with them for two years. You do the contract, and then every two years, uh, have to remember to renegotiate and price and uh, make sure they got the better deal and all that kind of stuff. And so that went on for a long time. And we recently just made the decision: hey, we just need to cut it. We don't use half the channels that are here, and uh, we just need to go to something else and make that decision purely uh, on the consumer basis of we just need something that's going to be better meet our needs. And so I remember making that phone call, but before I made the phone call, it literally took me like 20 minutes to prep myself on what I was going to say. It was almost like going back to dating where you know you have to have that breakup conversation and you're dreading it and you're realizing all the things that this person's going to say to get you to stay in the relationship. And you're like, no, I got to be strong. I need, I need somebody around me. I'm going to call my, my friend over. Hey, come on over while I break up with my girlfriend so that, so that, so that I have somebody else supporting me. You're like, yeah, say that, say that, you know? And, and I was kind of like in that scenario and it felt weirdly oddly like that and trying to break off this satellite company. It was just crazy. And so literally 20 minutes before I made the call, I, I was working through, here's what they're going to say, here's what I'm going to say. And so I pick up the phone and I get the first guy on the phone and he's like, how can I help you today? I'm like, I want to get out of my contract. It wasn't even a contract. It was over. I want to cancel our services. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I did it. I said the thing. And, and then all of a sudden, like, He's like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, the whole thing. And then they send me, he's like, let me send you to somebody else. And so they sent me to like a sales representative because apparently my no was not enough for this guy. They're going to send me up the chain and they're going to try and reconvince me of why I need to stay. So they sent me to special services and they're grilling on why I'm leaving and is it price and did we do something? Was it me? Was it you? And I'm like, no, 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 it's not you. It's me. You know, the whole thing. And, uh, and uh, so we can, we can change. We can work it out. We'll, we'll get something worked out for you. Please stay. Please stay. And then they went to the line and any breakup, right, which is kind of weird and amazing how it looked the same. And they're like, is there someone else? <laughs> is there somebody else that, that you're going over to that we could, could talk you out of going to, to them? And, and I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. And I said, we are honestly just cutting the cord. At this point, we weren't. We, weren't, we were just going to go on a break and we didn't need any kind of media in the, in the house. We are just going to cut the cord. And I said, no, we're not going anywhere else. We're just, we just want to, we just want to cancel services. And that was true. And I remember the dead silence on the other end. She was just like, okay. Like, and I'm like, it's, you know, they thought we were like from the 1900s or something. Like, is that even possible? It was just, it was a weird thing and it was exhausting. But after 30 minutes, I had cut the relationship off and I thought that was the end. But sure enough, less than an hour later, I get emails Please come back. Please come back. 24 hours later, I get a phone call, phone call from them. Please come back. Was it you? It's us. We'll fix it. And eventually, slowly, those went away. And I kept having to be like, no, we're not coming back. We're not coming back. I'm cutting it. And it was all this crazy thing. And yet the main reason we left is because we didn't use the service that much. It, we, we were basically doing this out of a consumer mindset, not out of a relationship. Those two people I talked to, great people. Others I've talked to, fantastic. But it wasn't a relationship conversation. It was simply a consumer conversation. 
And being that it was a consumer conversation, it was they had held us in a contract for two years. We were at the end of it. There were penalties we would we'd pay if we re-upped. It was purely consumer. We didn't want to stay, and we did. And we made the decision to leave, not because of how nice Darlene or Philip were or how great the service was. We made the decision to get out of the relationship simply out of consumers. It didn't meet my needs. And now we have a streaming service and uh, has no contracts, and many of you maybe be there as well. But it was a consumer decision and not a relational one. This morning, as we wrap up chapter 7, we're going to be talking about the major difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. They're two very different things. And so the consumer relationship are great for products and services, but Paul will warn us this morning that when we start that kind of mindset of consumerism into our marriages, when we let it start to creep into our marriages, we're going to get in some very deep and toxic trouble. And so that's going to be our warning from Paul this morning. It's going to remind us to stay where we are, especially in our marriages. Don't let this consumer mentality pour in. Instead, see it for what it is in this covenant relationship. And so this morning, as we jump in, let me kind of share where we're going to go. Uh, Maybe a little bit longer today. I apologize, but uh, I need to get through the passage. There's plenty to get through. And uh, the other thing, too, is this may be a morning, as was mentioned, that uh, maybe you don't want the kids in for, although it's not going to be anything crazy. Um, But we are going to be talking about sex and divorce this morning. And let me kind of share where we're going as a whole. So first, we're going to understand the difference between covenant and consumer relationships. That's first. And then I want to show you why sex is more powerful and passionate in a covenant relationship. And then I want to explain why divorce is such a harsh topic in the Bible and why I believe that's important and should be so. And then I want to show you why marriage is more resilient in a covenant relationship. And then I want to point you back at the end to the original covenant. If we are in Christ, what that means for us. In that way. So those are kind of where we're heading. We're going to understand the differences. We're going to show you why sex is more powerful and passionate in covenant. We're going to explain divorce. And then we're going to talk about why marriage is more resilient in covenant. And along the way this morning, we will all be uncomfortable. Okay? So let's just put that out there. We're all going to at some point probably be like, ooh. Okay? We're going to be uncomfortable. And that is not my aim. I didn't set this sermon up to be like, I'm just going to make everybody uncomfortable. I think in my 20s I would have done that. I'm not going to do that. That's not why I do this. But I have zero issue if you are uncomfortable because it's approaching the text and keeping the text as it is this morning. Along this way this morning as well, you'll be asking, yeah, but what about my situation? I guarantee at some point this morning you'll be like, that's great. I know the Bible says that. But what about my reality this morning? You don't know. And along the way this morning, you're probably uh, going to have a lot of questions. Probably going to deal with a lot of those. We'll explain that in a little bit. But along the way this morning, I really hope that um, I pray that you'll look to Jesus in all of this. And so let me do that. Let me look to Christ as we start opening his word, and then we'll jump in. God, this morning, I ask for clarity. I ask for you to go ahead of us in this text. Would you work in the hearts of those in their homes right now? Would you already be going ahead of us, setting us up to hear your word? May your Holy Spirit be working in our lives. May we hear directly from you. May this morning be nothing of me or my wants or, or, or desires and what to communicate, but ultimately what you want to communicate. We leave it in your hands. We pray that you would do mighty things through your word. And uh, we thank you for being a God who keeps his promises to us. And here we pray. Amen. All right. Let's jump in. Consumer versus covenant. So we mentioned at the beginning the satellite company and the idea of consumerism, and I think we all have been there. But consumerism, if it gets into our marriages, can be toxic. And so let me say this. Consumer marriages are all about meeting needs. Very little about relationship. 
almost all about meeting needs. Consumer marriages take what are healthy desires and they quickly turn them into expectations. Now, if you've been through premarital with my wife and I, you know that uh, this desire and expectation is a key part of our premarital counseling. It's a key part of every time I talk about marriage, I talk about this idea of desires and expectations. This is not original with me, but it is something I find very, very helpful, and it's always accurate when we talk about desires and expectations. Consumer marriages take what are healthy desires and quickly turn them into expectations. Let me explain what I mean by that. We all start off in marriage with certain desires, correct? Uh, whether it's a desire of the house we're going to live in, uh, the type of house, the area we're going to live in, the kind of jobs we're going to work. Are we both going to work full-time? Is one going to work full-time? One going to work part-time? Who's going to be with the kids most of the time? Do we want kids? Um, who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to do the day-to-day? Who's going to handle the finances? All those kind of things that we don't really think about until we're in our marriages. But... All of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, have certain desires before we're married about who's going to do what and who's going to get to do what and how much and that whole thing. And so there's plenty of desires when we go into marriage. And those are awesome and those are needed and and they should be there. If you have no desires, you're just kind of like, I just want to get married because I guess that's a thing to do. I worry about you. But for those who most of us who have desires, he says... It's great to have desires. The problem is when those desires turn into these expectations. One of the desires I had, I know this is lame, but one of my biggest desires when we got married is one, I'm going to get our house. And when we get our house, my first desire is I'm going to order a pizza and it's going to be my pizza to my house. It's going to be awesome. I know. Bar was set really low. But uh, but that was one of the desires I had. And it didn't turn into an expectation, thankfully. I didn't be like, if this doesn't happen, it's over, right? Um, but it was a desire that I had. And when they stay in the desire category, they're great. When they start to move into expectations, we get into some trouble. So those expectations, when they are not being met, are not being met because they are simply because they're needs. They're need-based. And when we start to treat our marriages in a need-based versus a relationship-based, it's very, very toxic. If my needs are not being met, if my desires are not being met, let's start there, then it starts to turn into expectation. And I start to keep lists. The thing that I wanted to happen didn't happen, and it didn't, didn't happen five times this week. And then I start to create expectations. If they don't do this, then they're going to pay. If they don't do this, then this is going to happen. It starts to become rule and expectation, and it turns from a desire into a need, into a demand, and that's when marriages get unhealthy. It's a pattern that may look like this. If my needs are not being met, my husband and wife will pay. And wife, sorry. My husband or wife will pay. Leave that alone. If my needs are not being met, I deserve better. We start to go into that mentality. If my needs are not being met, I will look elsewhere for those needs to be met. In a friendship, in an internet site, I'll find that need somewhere else. If my needs are not being met, I will find someone else. And lastly, if my needs are not being met, I will leave the person I'm with to go with the person who will meet my needs. Very consumer-based. And if we're not careful, we can get there very easily. Consumer is need-based. I don't need the product of the satellite company anymore. I'll leave, I'll cut the cords, and I'll go find something that works for me. In a marriage, unfortunately, you can look at it very similarly. And you can say, just because they're not meeting my needs, I'm not happy. I'm going to leave. And Paul is going to have much to say about that. Consumerism is that mentality. Covenant is very different. 
Covenant, especially biblical covenant, is very different. Covenant is relationship-based, not need-based. Regardless of if my desires are being met or not, I love my wife, and the relationship we have is far greater than whether it meets my needs or not my needs. Covenant is what God has designed, one, our relationship with Him to be, is a covenant. And then he says, covenant is also what our marriages are to be. There's an amazing passage in Genesis chapter 15 where God describes what a covenant looks like with Abraham. And Abraham is that that we look to as our father of our faith, who, who trusted God by faith. There's an amazing passage. I'm not going to get into all of it this morning. I encourage you. There's a sermon I did on it in the Old Testament woven series. You can look that up. Did it about a year and a half ago on Genesis 15. But it's an amazing story where God says to Abraham in this idea of a covenant, relationship. He says to Abraham and to us, I'll do all the heavy lifting in this relationship. It's a story that applies to us as though who are in Christ. It's Jesus saying to us, if we accept him in our life, hey guys, I'll, ladies, I'll do all the heavy lifting in this relationship. He says in this covenant with Abraham and also with us, I will never break this covenant. He says in the relationship with Abraham with us, I'll never leave you. Even if you leave me, I will never leave you. The entire Old Testament is God telling his people, even though you cheat on me, leave me, take me for granted, I will never leave you. Because covenant fights for the other person forever. Jesus is fighting for us forever. That's amazing. The God of the universe who made, created this world is in it for us, loves us to his glory and his reputation in it for us. Consumer Fights for the needs. Covenant fights for the relationship. And one of the areas that this idea of covenant came up and this idea of consumer came up was in this idea of sex. And in this beginning part of chapter 7, Paul begins to address something that the Corinthians themselves sent him in a letter. They said, hey, we got this concern. We want to get your opinion or your take on this idea of sex and sexuality. So here's, here's what we jump into this morning. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, quote, end quote. But because of the temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman is her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjunctual rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as concession, not a command, I say this. And I loop verse 6 into that for, uh, on purpose. I think it's tied to the verses 1 through 5 and not the verses to follow. And he says this, now concerning. So this is, we talked last week, he said, now concerning singleness. Now it's now concerning those who are married. And he says, now concerning this issue you wrote me about. They wrote to Paul and said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. In other words, they said to Paul, hey, sex is gross, inappropriate, nobody should be involved in it, even those who are married should avoid having sex with each other. It's a terrible, gross thing. It was like a step beyond what maybe we grew up with in church. Like I grew up in a church that you know, basically gave the, the, the pep talk about sex and the fact of, hey, sex is gross, it's improper, you want to avoid it at all costs, don't do it, it's a flame in the lap, it's the whole thing, right? Sex is bad, 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 don't do it. 
But when you get married, it's going to be awesome. Right? And I'm like, how do you, what do you mean? They took this to the extreme and said, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman outside of marriage. Yes, the Bible's clear on that. But it's also, they would take and say, that's also to be true in marriage. And, and Paul says, that's not, no, 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 no. We shouldn't deprive one another of these rights. We shouldn't deprive one another of our bodies. He says, the husband belongs to the wife and the wife to the husband. That's, for just as a side note, rabbit trail here, that is an amazing little text here because the wife having rights over the husband would have been unbelievable. Like, that would have been so progressive at the time. Husbands treated wives as, own, as owning them at this point in time, even still in this culture. And so for Paul to say the wife has rights and even rights over her husband, that was crazy liberal at that point. I've probably been like, what are you talking about? How can that be? Anyway, he says, this is the idea. He says, this is to be in marriage. When we treat sex in just a consumer thing of meeting my needs, we can lose the purpose and the passion behind which sex was supposed to serve in marriage. We see it all the time. Interesting little fact. Did you know that there are over 190,000 books on sex on Amazon alone? 190,000. This is what happens when we turn sex into just a consumer-based reality in our marriages. This is what happens when we turn sex into consumer-based reality outside of marriage. When sex becomes merely physical and not attached to the soul, all you're left with is a technique to work on, and there are books upon books upon books to figure out that. It's kind of sad, and it's really kind of absurd, because sex and sexuality was a gift from God to us in marriage. It is left for the covenant. When it is consumer-based, it is empty. When it is covenant, it is powerful, and it is passionate. Let me say it again. When sex is consumer-based, it is empty. But when it is covenant-based, it is powerful and passionate. Let me explain that. In, in the Bible, when it talks about sex, when it talks about our, our, our love for our spouse, it actually begins all the way back in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, I love this, the, the word for love had about six different meanings. There were six different words, I should say, six different words for the word love in Hebrew. I know a lot of us maybe have heard the Greek and it's the agape, arrows, all that kind of stuff. But this is actually, the Old, the Old Testament Hebrew I think is even richer than, than the Greek. In the, in the Hebrew, I want to focus on three. There were three kind of words that I want to focus on. The first was called raya, and this was a friendship kind of love, right? It's the one that Carrie and I had when we just started dating. We weren't allowed to hold hands or do any kind of PDA stuff because we were working at a Christian camp, and you know all the counselors and everything was signed an agreement. Hey, if you start dating at camp, then you can't you know live it out in front of the kids. Probably a good idea, you know, considering some of the couples that, you know, were around. But, but it was this idea of friendship. We got to know each other in a friendship level. There was a deep friendship. I would say that I loved my friendship with her. And then that friendship continued to grow and continued to grow to where she was my best friend. And even now, I tell her all the time, like, you are my best friend. Like, I have nobody else that gets me the way you do. There is no other best friend that I would rather do life with than you. And that was part of this first part of love, the raya kind of love. And then there's a second kind of love called the ahava. And this is a love of the will. This is a, a, a love that is not easily broken, a love that is not easily damaged, and a love that's actually in a, it's an aggressive kind of love. I will love you even when it's hard. I will love you even though it costs me something. I will love you sacrificially. I will love you when things get tough, and I won't leave, and I won't abandon you. So friendship love eventually turned into that for us. 
Where there was plenty of fights in our first couple years of marriage where I realized how selfish I was. And there was plenty of fights later in our marriage about time and, and how much time I was spending at work and not at home. And especially when the kids were little and fights and went back and forth. And it was a love that says no matter what we fight about, I will love you sacrificially. I will not lob these huge word grenades at you to damage you because I love you sacrificially. That was the kind of love that Ahava started into. And then from that, it turns into the other kind of love, which is where we get into the sexuality. And that is this word called dod. And it was a Hebrew word that was sexual in nature. And it involved not just sex. It involved this idea of soul and body. Isn't that crazy? It united the divine, the soul part of us, and it united the body part of us. And it says the two came together in this sexual kind of love. And that kind of love was reserved for marriage. That's what covenant relationship looks like. It's when it combines all three of those. It starts with friendship. It goes to the will. And then it turns into the sexual kind of love. And it builds and it builds and it builds into each other. Until eventually we are one body. That's why the Bible is so clear when it talks about sexuality. When it says that we become one flesh. That's what that means. It means we slowly friendship love or sacrificial. But when the dode happens, that's a different kind of love. That's the sexual only meant for our spouse, only in marriage. And so the Bible is clear. Like when we put it into consumer need-based, it becomes cheap and it doesn't work. Even in marriage, when it just becomes need-based, it's cheap and it doesn't work. It goes into the Cain sin category of like, um, I don't want to do the dishes, but because I'll love you, I'll do the dishes kind of thing. I get the mentality behind it. You want to be honest with your spouse. But, but at the same time, I love you. I guess I'll have sex with you. I, I don't really want to, but I will. Like that, When it starts to turn into those, or when it starts to turn into a weapon that you use against each other, that's, that's very unhealthy. It's very consumer-based, need-based. He says this should be covenant-based. This friendship, this will, this sexual kind of love should be something that is part of our marriage. And we do it to unite us together under God to say that we are one. And we are continuing to live out our covenant that we made on that wedding day towards one another. So the Bible's clear. It says, have sex. Have it often. Go against what these people were saying. It's, it's, it's terrible. We shouldn't do it. No, the Bible says, do it. Have sex. It's part of living out your covenant with your spouse. It's a good thing. And that's the first thing Paul addresses. And that's the first thing we maybe need to address in our marriages and say, man, if I used it, have I used it as a weapon? Do I use it as a uniting of us to God and our covenant to Him? Like, um, is it something that speaks of that, right? Or is it just consumer based? He goes into that first section and gives that. And then he goes into verses uh, 7 in, uh, through 9. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, each one, one kind and one of another. We talked about that last week. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than burn with passion. So he gives a little caveat. He moves from sex and sexuality to this idea of marriage and divorce. Now, they are not divorced here. There is a death that happens and the spouse is now a widow. And he says, it'd be great if you could remain where you are. But I get it if you can't, so go ahead and get married. Not a problem there. And then he goes into this next section, and this is the idea we're going to talk about explaining why divorce is so hard and why the Bible is so uh, against this idea of divorce. Divorce, in verse 10 and 11, it's very, very uh, important for us to understand. And so before we jump into it, let me just kind of reiterate again. This will be that point in the sermon where uh, I'll need to maybe acknowledge, and I want to, that there will be many of you listening that will say, wait, 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 
what about me? What about my situation? Or that's great, Joel, but you don't know about this. Or you're saying that. That, that seems really extreme. The disciples said the same thing. So you're, so you're in good company. And then he says, some of you may say, I'm really confused. Like, I, I thought we were good and now you're saying this. And so let me just say this morning, I'm going to skim over the surface today. But I am planning on a whole morning conversation about this this summer. In the end of the day, we're going to do a series called Yeah, But Now. What about that? Okay. Uh, it's going to be something like that. I don't know if that's going to be the exact title. But it's going to be Yeah, But What About, right? What about this passage? What about this topic? We're going to hit some of the hard topics and scriptures all summer long. And so you want to join in for that. But we're going to hit this idea of divorce and remarriage even in greater detail this summer. But for now, I just want to skim the surface. And I want to kind of deal with the passage in front of us, okay? So, with that being said, verse 10 and 11. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Let me read that again, especially 11. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does... She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. This passage, as well as some other passages, have three different views when it comes to the Christian world and how they think about this passage. There's three different views, as well as um, some different, I guess, views of the same thing, some takes on this idea of divorce and remarriage. Let me give you the views, and then I want to kind of give you some scripture on where we find that. And then we're going to continue on this idea of divorce. So he says this. The three major views are this. One view is that no divorce is acceptable. I think that's clear. I think we can all agree that the Bible is against divorce. Uh, it should not be something entered into lightly. Um, even the disciples, when they were approaching Jesus, there was a bunch of uh, Pharisees and others that came to Jesus and said, can we divorce our wife for any reason, including like if they burnt my meal, I can divorce them kind of thing. Right? Guys, ladies, don't, you know. Even if he's home late from work, I can divorce him. I don't, don't get that. So it was very easy to do divorce back then as much as it is today. He says divorce is not to be for us who are in Christ. And he says it's not acceptable. And so one view is that, again, obviously the divorce is not acceptable and it's sinful. And then they would throw in that same thing that remarriage is also sinful. So they would say there is no room for remarriage. Once you're divorced, you cannot remarry. You have to remain single for the rest of your life. Um, they, they get that partly from here. And then they say uh, the second view is no divorce and no remarriage are acceptable for two reasons. Adultery and desertion. Okay, those are two options that would say, yeah, you can if, if there's been adultery or if one has abandoned the other. And then there's a third view that says divorce and remarriage are acceptable only for three reasons. And that is adultery, desertion, or abuse. Okay. And so let me just kind of hit the, the option number two, right? Let me, let me talk about that one for a second because I think if we're looking at Scripture as a whole, I would kind of lean more towards the second, although, again, we're going to discuss this more later this summer. But here's what he says in, in the idea of adultery, and here's where I get it from. Jesus is speaking to the disciples in Matthew 19.9. And in Matthew 19.9, he says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Mark 10, 11 and 12. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, revolutionary that Jesus threw women in there, but that's a whole other story. Luke 16, 18. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits 
adultery. So I think there's some pretty clear, at least for me, language that says if, if there's been adultery, then there are grounds for divorce. Jesus allowed it. And also Paul would second it because he says here, I give you the command. Uh, I'm sorry. He says there's a command from, from God in this. I'm sorry. He doesn't say it. He says I, not the Lord. We'll get into that one. But in the, in the scriptures, if we, if we know Christ said it, then we, we live by it in Matthew 19, 9, Mark 10, Luke 16. But then there's also, I believe, this section then that Paul gives us, and that is this idea of desertion in 1 Corinthians 7, a little later here in verse 15. But if an unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so I believe that God gives us two options here. He says you, you, can, you can only be divorced or remarried for two things. Either one, there's adultery, or, or secondly, the, the, the person leaves. There was a, a pastor friend of mine that he, he was married for a long time, and then all of a sudden his wife had kind of a mental breakdown, and a lot of it was even psychological. And he tried for years and years and years to, to salvage his marriage, and eventually she just left. And he says, I didn't want it to happen. I didn't need it to happen. And, and I just feel terrible. And so there was a lot of stigma still around him, especially as a pastor who was divorced, right? And yet, I believe that there was grounds here because she had left. He had done everything to pursue it. And she was the one who, who left. I think there's this thing of desertion that is here in Scripture as far as a, a divorce and remarriage. No matter where we land, can I just be straight with you and say that the Bible is very clear that divorce and remarriage are serious topics when it comes to God. Because it's a covenant relationship that should not be easily broken. He says in Matthew 19, what God has separated, let no man, uh, what God has put together, let no man separate, right? It's the same idea. Divorce should be not, should not be something entered into lightly. Now, another caveat here. So you're saying that we should stay in even if it's a brutal situation and there's abuse and all kinds of No, I'm not saying that either. I'm saying that in the midst of this, that there's a lot of there are a lot of conversations that need to happen in our marriages and ultimately with the church. As a pastor, I've heard many stories and walked through many counseling situations. And there are many times we've given counsel to men and women that if there's an abusive situation, you need to separate. You need to get away. You do not need to be in an unhealthy place. You do not need to be in a place where you or yourself or your kids are in danger. So please hear me. This is not a just suck it up and take it kind of conversation. That is not what I'm saying. I am saying that there is separation that may need to happen, but ultimately with counseling there is hope for restoration. Now, that's a, that may be, for some of you, like, well, that's a pipe dream. I, I get that. But God in Scripture is always fighting for reconciliation. And he's always fighting for the two to come back together. Okay? So if there is abuse and things like that, please, as pastors, we want to walk you through that. We want to talk to you about that. We want to work through all this messiness. It's easy in a sermon just to be very black and white, but I know that there is a lot of gray and there's a lot of things that happen. And so if we, if you have that in your life, we're going to talk. We are available. Myself, the elders are always available to talk through those issues with you. But that is where Paul is landing. Divorce is a heavy thing and we are to always to remain where we are. Right? He says, I want you to remain where you are. Now, this is going to bring up a lot of maybe confusion. And it goes into even further confusion in verses 12 to 14. So here's, here's where he goes into even more resilience of staying where you are and dealing with maybe some other issues in this idea of divorce and remarriage. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. 
For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such case, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is crazy, right? He says, I would want you to know that even if you're in the midst of this thing, you may... Decisions in the past that have been very, very negative and, and, and weren't done in a, in a godly way. I want you to tr- I want you to remain where you are, right? And, and this is confusing for many of us because, right? So, so maybe some of us were saved and we just felt that urge to to marry that girl because she's she's hot and I really like her. And even though she's not a Christian, she's going to come around eventually, kind of idea, right? Which the Bible is very clear about. He says, "I am telling you, don't." Do it, right? When couples come in for counseling and they're like, we have the premarital stuff, are are they saved? And you're, is he saved? Are you saved? Well, he's working on it. We very, very quickly are like, "Eh, this isn't for us because the Bible is very clear about being unequally yoked. It is very clear about marrying an unbeliever because he knows all the issues that will come of it, right? And so he says, if that's the case, Remain where you are. And for those who are, maybe they both were unsaved. Maybe for you, you didn't know Christ. Your husband didn't know Christ. You weren't in church. You got married early. And, uh, and, and you came to know Christ later in your marriage. And maybe one of you has accepted Christ and the other hasn't. This is for you as well. Remain where you are. This was uh, proven true in a story from another couple uh, in a church we were in way before. And the wife uh, accepted Christ in the marriage. And she wanted so badly for her husband to be saved. And everybody kept telling her, just leave, just leave, just leave. But she said, no, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And she prayed, I think it was for like 18 years, if not longer, for her husband to accept Christ. Year after year, nothing, 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 nothing. Until eventually God broke through and God saved her husband. And it was only through prayer and and consistency that she saw the change happen. And it was this very verse lived out for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband. That's awesome. And yet for many of us, we don't like it because it's unhappy or I'm unfulfilled or he doesn't come to church or there's this whole thing. And, And God's saying, I want you to remain where you are. Paul's reminding us, stay where you are. It's not always about your happiness. This is amazing resilience in a covenant relationship. Amazing resilience that that God says will not be easy. You will not be happy all the time. It will be very difficult. For many of you who are in this situation, I feel you. I understand. We've talked. It is a very difficult place to be. But God asks us to stay where we are because staying, because there is a covenant relationship here and not a consumer. Staying out of a love for Jesus more than a love for their spouse. And again, obviously, pastoral care and consultation for issues of abuse and getting you out of a harmful situation and your kids out of a harmful situation. But as Christ followers, he's asking us to model the covenant that God has made with us. One that sees Christ's commitment to us. One that sees a love that will not leave. Even though the love is taken advantage of. Even though the love is betrayed. Even if we feel forgotten. God knows he's been forgotten. And yet he continues to love us. I want to close this morning with proof of that out of a book in the Old Testament called Hosea. And it's a passage, uh, or it's a book that's written, uh, God has called a guy to marry a prostitute. And she ends up having uh, sex with other guys even in the midst of them being married. And he remains, 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 remains. And he says, this is the picture of how my covenant with Israel has been. I I, I wanted a relationship with them, 
and yet they keep leaving. And yet God, being God, he'll tell us that in a second, because I am God, I don't leave. Because I am God, I am committed to them. And the same thing is true in Genesis 15. I will do all the heavy lifting. I'm the one who started the covenant. I will fulfill it. We ended with this idea that we said we want to point you back to the original covenant. This is the pointing us back to the God who loves us and sticks by our side no matter where we are in our marriages. And this is a passage in Hosea 11. I want to read it for you as we close. When Israel was a child, I loved you. Or I'm sorry. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. That's the idea of adultery. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading the law by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped to feed him. Verse 7. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? How can I destroy you like Adma or demolish you like Zeboim? My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God and not a mere mortal. I am, the holy living, I am the Holy One living among you, and I will not come to destroy. For someday the people will follow me. I, the Lord, will roar like a lion. And when I roar, my people will return trembling from the west. God says, I hear it. I understand where you're at. But I want, through the words of Paul, to remind you to remain where you are. I am a God who doesn't break his covenant with you. I am a God who is not in a consumer-based relationship with you. Even though you may be with me, I am not with you. And I challenge you in your marriages and even in your remarriages, I encourage you and I challenge you to point back to the original covenant, the one that God has made with you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, go back to that original covenant. God will not leave you. God will do all the heavy lifting. God is there. God is never going to forsake you. And I need to model that to my spouse. To those who aren't in a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. Can I just encourage you? Run to that covenant. Run to that help who will never abandon you, who will never desert you, who will never give up on you, who will always come after you, who will always be there. Can I encourage you? That is the only hope for a marriage that's on the rocks, is Christ and Christ alone. As we end this morning, let me pray for you and our marriages. As we close. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for being there for us. We thank you for modeling what a covenant looks like. We thank you that you are one who does not break covenants. We thank you for being one who sustains us in our marriages even now. We thank you for being a God who we can run even with the mistakes we've made in our past. We can run to you and know there is grace and forgiveness and there is help. God, would you encourage us this morning? For those whose marriages are on the rocks, I pray that they would have the courage to reach out to me, to the elders here, to say, man, we just want to talk. I feel like this message really hit me, and I want to be able to talk about it. For those who are healthy in their marriages, I pray that you continue to sustain them in it. Would you continue to see them as a covenant relationship, and they see each other as, as fighting for the relationship and not just my needs. 
We thank you for speaking truth to us this morning. It's in your name we pray.